Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Now we are celebrating Palm Sunday. We are celebrating Palm Sunday along with the majority of Christians around the world. Some 2.3 billion Christians are, are supposed Christians in the world. A good chunk of those people are celebrating Palm Sunday, right? Right now. And we're celebrating with them. So what is Palm Sunday? Palm Sunday is the day that Christ made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to conclude his ministry. 33 years of living, three years of ministering and healing people, and he's coming to the end. He's a week away from being crucified for all of humanity, and he's making his entry into Jerusalem. Jesus, his disciples, and a large group of Jewish pilgrims have made their trip to Jerusalem. This is something that all Jews did every single year. They would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate what is called the Passover, the Passover feast. Now, the Passover feast is a feast that the Jewish people celebrated that honored how God delivered Israel from Egypt. Y'all remember the story, the Prince of Egypt, right? Y'all remember the Ten Commandments? Y'all remember a movie that talks about, anybody know who Moses is? All right, Ten Commandments. So, so they let him out of Egypt, and, and they began to celebrate with a feast year after year to remind them of God's faithfulness, to remind them that God is a God who delivers, a God who sets free, a God who is on the side of those who are in bondage. And for a thousand years, this has been celebrated over and over again. And here they are, Passover, celebration in Jerusalem. But this Passover would be different. There's anticipation Building. Why? Because they believe, those who are traveling with Jesus, that this teacher, this rabbi is different than all the other rabbis who have come along before him. This rabbi is different because this rabbi, they believe, is the Messiah. This rabbi is the king of the Jews. It's this rabbi who would lead them out of the bondage of Roman oppression like Moses led Israel out of the bondage of Egyptian oppression. This is their king. He's going to be the one that sets us free. It's been prophesied. And as they're making this journey to Jerusalem, they come to the top of Mount of Olives and it overlooks Jerusalem and sitting on top of the Mount of Olives is this little village there, Bethpage, on top of it. And Jesus tells his disciples, he says to them, hey, listen, go over to this village, go in there and grab me a donkey. There's going to be a donkey tied up, go into the village and untie the donkey. And the disciples are looking at Jesus like, isn't that stealing? And Jesus says, listen, when you go in there and you see the donkey tied up, take it. And if someone asks you, what are you doing? Say, the Lord needs this donkey and they'll give it to you. So the disciples go in there and they bring this donkey out. And they bring it to Jesus and Jesus mounts the donkey and they begin the journey down from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. And as they're going into Jerusalem, they're celebrating him. They're crying out a famous word. Half of us, most of us have heard this word, but we don't know what this word means. They're shouting out what church? Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, the son of David. They're they're crying out. They're taking their garments, their robes, and they're laying them before the donkey as he's walking. They go and they cut down palm branches, and they lay the palm branches on the path before Jesus. Hence the reason this is called Palm Sunday. They have palm branches, and they lay them before them as he's 
walking. And this is to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah said in Zechariah 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 9. He says, your king, your king is coming to you. And he is humble, and he's riding on a, a donkey. Isn't that interesting? That He's not riding on a top-of-the-line camel. He's not riding on some kind of stallion, some kind of horse. He's riding on a donkey. He is riding on a very stubborn animal. And as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, people are cheering and they're celebrating, shouting, Hosanna, save us, son of David. That's what Hosanna means. Did you know that? Hosanna is a form of praise, adoration, but the word is literally translated, save us. Save us. Have you ever found yourself in a moment of prayer like that? Have you ever found yourself in a moment of prayer when you're praying and you're like, Lord, save me? Maybe it's holiday season and your in-laws are coming over. Hosanna. Lord, save me. It's Monday. And you're back at work, and your boss is chewing you out. Hosanna, Lord, save me. Maybe. You've said that before. He goes into Jerusalem shouting Hosanna. They go into Jerusalem shouting Hosanna. Now, we're going to pick up in verse uh, 12 of Matthew chapter 21. And I'm going to unpack this verse, right? Here it is, Matthew 21, verse 12. It starts right there. It says, and then Jesus entered the temple. Y'all do me a favor and say temple. Temple. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. And he knocked over tables of money changers and chairs of those selling doves. Keep going. And he said to them, the scriptures declare my what church? My temple will be called a house of what? Prayer. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the... Come on, church, speak back to me. In the what? In the temple. There you go. I hear you, girl. And he healed them. Did you all see that? Keep going. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children, even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indigent. They were angry. Verse 16 says, and they asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Do you hear them calling you the son of David? Do you hear them calling you the Messiah? Do you hear them singing your praises? And what did Jesus say, church? Yes. He said, haven't you heard, haven't you read the scriptures? For they say, you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Right. And then he returned to Bethany, and he stayed there overnight. He stayed there overnight. I'm going to unpack a portion of the scripture. Hopefully it comes together like it came together in my head. But though what goes on in my head and what goes out of my mouth sometimes are two very different things. So as we get into this, if I start confusing you, just smile and talk back to me. We'll get this done sooner. Amen? I'm just kidding. Let me pray for you real quick before we go into this. Father, I thank you right now in this moment, God, that our hearts, our minds, and our ears are open, God. And I pray, Father, that as I speak, I speak my words seasoned with your grace, Father, and revelation. Father, we thank you for moving in our hearts right now today as we celebrate the goodness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So Palm Sunday 
Palm Sunday is the first time that Jesus allows himself to be called king. Did you know that? It was the first time that he allowed himself to be called king. Many times before that, when they, when they brought it up, when they wanted to elevate him to kingship, he would quiet people down and say, shh, don't say that. But this was a revelation that people had been getting over and over again, more and more, as the ministry of Jesus progressed. And what would be the first thing that their, their king would do? He would go into the temple. Now, the temple is important in Jewish faith because it's the temple that the Jews said held the presence of God. It's the temple where there's the veil, right, in there, where the presence of God is behind and the Ark of the Covenant, those things. Where It's the temple where they would bring sacrifices and offer sacrifices to be forgiven. It was the temple every year that they all gathered to, no matter where they lived from or where they lived at, they would gather there to celebrate Passover, to offer sacrifices, to be forgiven at the temple because it's the temple that is the place, the presence, the house of God. There's a difference between temple and synagogue. When you read scripture, you'll hear that Jesus often went into the synagogue, right, to teach. Each village had synagogues. A synagogue would be kind of something like we do here at church. This would be kind of what a synagogue looks like. When you come together, you hear somebody speak truth or pontificate, either one, and there would be fellowship and there would be talking and connection. That was a synagogue. But it was the temple that housed the high priest. It was the temple where sins were forgiven. It was the temple where sacrifices were made. The temple was regarded and revered as, as holy. And so what's the first thing that Jesus does when he goes into Jerusalem as he goes to the temple and he makes a mess? He makes a mess. Someone asked me uh, earlier this week, they texted me, and, and, and they said, well, when, when Jesus went into the temple, didn't he get angry with what was going on? And the answer to that is, yes, he did. But anger was an expression of love and not the same thing that some people try to say about God. Well, well, God is angry, he's vengeful, and he's wrathful because he is love. No, listen, there's a difference here. When Jesus went into the temple, his love was expressed in his passion and his anger. He flipped tables. He didn't flip people. And for people to say, well, see, look, look, see, God is a vengeful God. God will get you. Look at Jesus. He got the temple. No, he flipped table, not people's. Even one pastor scripture said he made a, a whip. He corded the whip together, and he took the whip into the temple. And some people say he took a whip. Man, Jesus came after him with a whip. Jesus wasn't going after people with a whip. It's inconsistent to his character. Nowhere else do you see Jesus going after people with whips or smacking them in the back of the head or con being condescending to them. He went in there with a whip to crack it, to drive the animals out. See, why would he do that? Because this temple, a place where, where people were to be welcomed, where people could come and make sacrifices from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich to buy these animals to sacrifice, this, this temple, this place of inclusivity has now become exclusive. And the money changers are in the temple and they're price gouging. And they're selling and they're and they're selling things for outrageous prices. That's what you do when tourist season ramps up, isn't it? And everything goes up when tourist season ramps up, doesn't it? It does. And this is tourist season for Jerusalem. This is the Passover. And they 
have racked it all up. And see, humanity, God accommodated Israel, y'all. He accommodated Israel. He stooped down with Israel when they were in the desert and they were implementing a sacrificial system. He scoops down and says, okay, okay, if you're going to make sacrifices, by the way, just like all the other nations that are surrounding you, you know, Israel wasn't the only ones making sacrifices. All the other ones are making sacrifices too. But God brought some order to their sacrifice. Okay, if you're going to make sacrifices, you need to make it fair. Everybody gets to participate. But humanity flawed and driven by greed and power only needs time to mess things up. Would you agree, church? Yeah. The religious leaders, they set up shop in this temple. They start price gouging because that's what you do in tourist season. They turned the temple, the house of God, into a hall of commerce. And by default, further restricted who could participate and who could come in. And Jesus prophesied something. So he goes into this temple, and he makes a mess of the temple. He makes a mess of the temple. And it's not the first time that he really, the temple comes up in his ministry. He talks about the temple. A week before he's did to be crucified, he's talking about the temple. He says, the, the Pharisees are arguing with him, and they're saying, show us how we know that you're the Messiah. And he says, tear this temple down, and in three days I will what? I will I'll rebuild it. And they freaked out. They said, how in the world are you going to rebuild a temple in three days? It took 46 years to build this. What temple was he talking about? The temple of his what? His body. It's the temple of his body. He prophesied the last week before his death that the temple itself, the actual housing, and the temple age would end. The temple age is a time in which people would come, or at a time in which people would come to a place, a place to meet God. He said, there's coming a time where this temple will end. There is coming a time where people will no longer have to make five-day-long journeys, ten-day-long journeys to gather to catch a glimpse or, or the presence of God. There's coming a time where this temple and these sacrifices will end. And Jesus' final week, he lived in the threshold of the old temple, doomed for destruction in the new temple that would be established by his death, burial, and resurrection. We'll talk about more of that next week. But I want you to see something that stuck out to me in this, this passage. Matthew 21. Go back to 12. Go back to 12. Matthew 21 to 12. We're going to 12 to 14. Got it? Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Verse 13, look what it says. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple. My what? My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Come on, verse 14, watch. And the blind, y'all say blind. The blind and the lame, say lame. The blind and the lame came to him in the what? temple, and he healed them. You know, that's a verse you can read and not give two thoughts about. And that's a verse you can read and not even really pay attention to. You go, oh, yeah, that's common, right? Because anywhere Jesus showed up, people showed up. And when people showed up, Jesus was there, and he healed them. It's a common thing. But there's something so much bigger in that one verse I don't think we've seen. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Do you know that that was a no-no? 
Did you know that? Did you know that it was a no-no? You see, if you're going to be a priest, and, and, and according to Mosaic law, the law of Moses, if you're going to be a priest, you can't have a single blemish about your body. You can't have a flat nose. Did you know that? You can't have moles. You can't have all sorts of things. You can't be blind. You can't be deaf to be a priest. But watch. Later on, when, when David, King David, was fighting with the Jebusites and, and he made a statement to them, he said, let none of the Jebusites, let none of the blind or the deaf Jebusites come into this house. Now watch. The temple. And in 2 Samuel 5, verse 8, it says, and this is the origin. This is the origin of the saying, the blind and the lame may not enter the house. You see, from that moment that David dealt with the Jebusites, they religious leaders, they adopted this, and they said, you know what, from now on, the blind and the lame, I don't care who they are, Jebusites, Amalekites, Amorites, whoever the ites are, right? I don't care who they are. No one's allowed blind or, or lame to come in. They're not allowed in the temple. The very place they needed to be it was the very place they weren't allowed. My, has the church seemed to follow this at times. Because the very place that people need to be to encounter love is the very place that the church doesn't allow them to be. You don't look like us. You don't dress like us. You don't act like us. You don't talk like us. You don't smell like us. We prefer you not be here. We prefer you go down to the other church. Go down to the other church journey. They allow anybody there. That's a true statement. Come hang out with us week to week. You'll see. We let you in. Come on. Jesus is messy, right? And, and it's only after things got messy in the temple, the church, that the blind and the lame came in. The temple he is building is not an exclusive temple. It's an inclusive temple. Jesus quotes Isaiah when he went in, and he flipped the tables over. He quotes Isaiah. He said, my, house, my father's house would be a house of what, church? Prayer, right? You've made it a den of what? Thieves. He quoted Isaiah's prophecy. Now, funny thing about Isaiah's prophecy, right, um, is this, that Isaiah prophesied that phrase when Israel was in exile, when they were held captive by Babylon, Babylonian. They were in Babylonian captivity, the Babylons. And they were held captive. For 70 years, they weren't allowed to go to Jerusalem. Do you know what that means? For 70 years, they weren't allowed to enter the temple. Now, the temple, the temple was built about 1,000 years about 1,000 B.C., sorry. And in 586 B.C., it was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. Israel was taken away in Babylonian captivity for 70 years and had no access. And while Isaiah, a prophet, was, was in exile away from Jerusalem, he's praying, he's talking to God, and he sees a vision, a vision of what the temple could be. But not just what the temple could be for the Jews, but what the temple could be for everyone. And he prophesies 
in Isaiah 56, verse 7, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer, and I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all, for all what? All nations. For all nations. He has a moment to kind of dream of something a little bit more beautiful than what it currently was. And he said this temple would not be restrictive and exclusive. Instead, my, my temple will be a place of prayer for all nations. For all nations. Now, Isaiah was the only prophet who saw something different. Ezekiel, he was another Old Testament prophet, and he was in exile too. Your Old Testament parts of your Bibles, they have what's called major prophets and minor prophets. Like Isaiah was a major prophet. Ezekiel was a major prophet. Jeremiah was a major prophet. Habakkuk was a minor prophet. Hosea was a minor prophet. Malachi was a minor prophet. Do you know the only thing that determined whether they were a major prophet or a minor prophet was? Do you know what it was? How long their books were. Isn't that the shady side of the stick? <laughs> That's a major prophet over there, and I'm just a minor prophet. I wrote six chapters, concise and right to the point. You went on and on and on for 78 chapters. But Ezekiel, a major prophet, he prophesies as well. This is what he says. He says, in my vision, he had a vision. In my vision, he said, man, this, I'm telling you all, if this should hit you like it, it hit me. It's really good. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. To where? Okay. And he said, and I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on the south side. Now, listen, this is really good. You ready for this? You ready for this? This is really good. When you, when you go east, you go away from God. When you go west, you run to God. When, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they went where? They went east, right? Right? But, but God was west. And, and, and so he said there's a, a water, a river flowing from the temple of God. And where is it going? It's going east. It's going to where everybody else is at. And he goes through and he talks about, he describes how this water begins to, to do some miraculous things. This is flowing from the temple of God. Y'all know this is all symbolic, right? This is not a real water, it, but it's flowing. And everywhere it touches, the water turns bad water into good water. And, and, and trees begin to grow up on the banks. Wherever this water was at, trees begin to grow up on the banks. And these trees produce fruits and these fruits produce leaves. And go to verse 12. Next verse. You have next verse? It says this, verse 12, only sent one. Here it is, verse 12. Got to keep you on your toes, John. Verse 12 says, fruit trees of all kinds will be growing along both sides of the river, and the leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches, and there will always be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river, uh, by the river flowing from the what? The temple. And he says the fruits will be food will be for food and leaves for the healing. He says, I see this moment. 
Ezekiel, he can't go to the temple. That's the presence of God, the place of God. He can't go there, but he says, I see something incredible that's going to happen, and, and, and it's not just going to impact the Jews, but it's going to impact everyone. Now watch. This is not the only place we've heard this. Revelation 22, verse 2. John the Revelator, the guy that wrote that really tripped out book in the back of the Bible that nobody really understands, even though we claim we do. We really don't understand that. That book is wild. Jewish apocalyptic literature. It ties well with Daniel and some of the other prophets. We don't know what it all means, but Revelation 22, verse 2. That was a good stall, wasn't it, John? That was good. I forgot to send him that one, too. And it says this. It says about the same thing. This river that's flowing from the center of Jerusalem. It flowed down to the center of Main Street, and on each side of the river grew a tree of what, church? Everywhere the water went, it produced a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with fresh crop each month. And it says, and the leaves were used for medicine to heal the what? The nations. The nations. You see, the water brings life and healing to the nations. But following the return to Israel from exile to the temple, it did not become a house of prayer for all nations. It did not become a living place, a place of living water. And it would not be long off before it would be destroyed. The temple prophesied by the prophets, referenced by Jesus, is not the temple made with hands. Listen to me. It's a temple made by love. It's not a physical place. It's not building. It's not built with limestone. It's built with love. The temple is the body of Christ that is expressed through us, his church. There was the physical temple that kept more out than they allowed in. And then there was Christ's temple who made a new way. His body, the temple, made a new way. One that would be destroyed, but in three days be raised to life. And because of that, there is now this body, the church, that includes everyone. The Apostle Paul tells the church of Corinth this. He does in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives where? In you who lives in you and gives you, or lives in you and has given to you by God and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. Where does God live at? Inside. God lives in you. I remember telling our kids that when they were younger, they were like, well, where is God at? Well, God lives in you, baby. I told JoJo that. God lives in you, baby. And I'll never forget. There was one day, she knew that God lives in her. Jesus lives in her. And she got so scared. Something happened and scared the bejesus. I mean, it scared her, right? And she said, oh, Daddy, she said, I think Jesus was scared out of my heart. That's what she said. Baby, that can't happen. Jesus don't leave your heart. Paul goes on, he tells the churches at Ephesus that they too are a part of this new temple. You see, the house of God is you. You are the house of God. Where does God's presence reside? Not here, not in this building. When we all leave, when we cut the lights on, there is nothing in this building but cockroaches and mice. 
I'm just kidding. We don't got cockroaches and mice. But you get the point. Creaky doors and funky smells. Amen. That's all that lives in this building until you get here. Until I get here. That's when the presence of God comes in. Because the presence of God doesn't inhabit a building. The presence of God inhabits his people. This is where the presence of God is at. Some of y'all need to remember that. Some of us, me, me, I need to remember that. Ephesians 2, verse 19, Paul says this to the church of Ephesus. This is a Gentile church. This is a non-Jewish church. This is not a church that grew up going to temple every year like Jesus did. They grew up going to pagan temples where they had all sorts of craziness. Even more crazy than offering animal sacrifices and splitting them down. I mean, that's crazy too, but it was more crazy. Ephesians 2 verse 19 says, And so you, now you Gentiles, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's what? Family. And together, family. We need to say that a couple more times. Yeah. Yeah, we are members of God's family. Everybody has that uncle in your family you just don't like, but he's still part of your family. Right? Come on. Y'all have family members. You're like, eh. you can't deny them because the blood, t- the blood test tells you it's true. They're members. You're members of God's family. In verse 20, it says, together we are his house. He said, built on foundations of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone of Christ Jesus himself, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy what? We are the temple of the Lord. And though you Gentiles, and through him, you Gentiles, sorry, are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. I don't know that we really comprehend that very well, do we? I know for me, I don't. I know for me, I don't. Because if I woke up, if I really understood this as well as I can preach it, if I really understood this as well as I can preach it, I'd wake up every morning and the first thing out of my mouth would be, Hosanna. The first thing out of my mouth would be, man, this is going to be an incredible day. Why? Because God lives in me. I am, the, I am the carrier of the presence of God. Everywhere I go, God goes. Everywhere I'm at, God's at, I'm the carrier of the presence of God. So I need to let my face be notified of the joy that's in my heart. Amen? Because sometimes my face and my heart don't agree. My heart's leaping for joy. My heart has Jesus in it. My heart is full of the love of God. My face is like, I hate you. It's true. Do your job, and I won't hate you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says, And are you living, it says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more is you are his holy priests. Oh, stop right there. Do you hear it? You are his holy priest. You're his holy priest. You don't need a priest. You don't need to go to somebody to get your sins forgiven. You're a priest of God. You're a holy priest of God. You are. Well, I'm not qualified. I'm not ordained. I'm not licensed. I don't have a degree. I don't have. It doesn't matter. 
God's presence dwells with you, and you are his holy priest. That's incredible. I have a guy I work with. His name is Jeff. Maybe Jeff one day will watch the service. I won't give his last name, but I work with this guy, Jeff. And he's so funny because sometimes he'll ask or he'll call me when I, when I see him in the mornings. I'll say, good morning, Jeff. He says, good morning, Chris. How's the priest doing? He calls me a priest. I said, Jeff, I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor. He always refers to me as a priest. And I thought to myself, well, maybe I need to stop saying I'm not a priest. I'm a pastor and say, Jeff, you're right. The priest is doing good. You know what's cool? Is that when life is kind of going nuts, kind of going crazy, he, he reaches out to the priest. He texts the priests and says, hey, can you pray for me today? He, um, he said that you were his holy priest. Though through the mediation of Jesus Christ, he said through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. What do we do with this understanding? What do we do with this reality? What do we do? We embrace it. We embrace it. The triumphal entry of Jesus Christ to go into the temple and heal the lame and the blind in the temple was just a beautiful picture of what was coming. And that is a place that we become. We become the temple, the housing of God, the place where God resides, the place where blind and the, and the, and the deaf and the lame all are healed. It's here with us in this temple, the temple of God. The temple of God now is global. Oh, it transcends citizenship. Did you know that? Hear me when I tell you this. Don't get mad at me. Well, I can't control that. I can't control you. But listen, the temple of God transcends citizenship. Do you hear me? You see, you may be an American, but you are not American before you are a temple of God. Right? Do you understand me when I tell you that? Your citizenship is not more important than who you are. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. It transcends citizenship. It has no boundaries. Listen, it has no boundaries, the temple of God. It has no borders, the temple of God. These all become hot topic items every four years, don't they? Bigger walls, border protection, beef of the military, America first, all these things. You say, well, are you anti-American? Stop. You don't love your country? Stop. I love my Jesus. And my responsibility as a temple of God transcends my citizenship. It transcends political voting it transcends all that. It, it goes beyond all that. It goes beyond social classes. You see, the temple of God, here's a, here's a thing. The temple of God, it welcomes legals and illegals. You ain't got to look at me that hard, guys. Come on now. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, here's the thing. You, all got, you ever go to Chick-fil-A? Anybody go to Chick-fil-A? I go to Chick-fil-A too much. Way too much. As a matter of fact, I don't even have it on me. I could tell you how many points I have with Chick-fil-A. It's embarrassing. It really is. 
I'm like a platinum member until Jesus comes. You know, they have all the different versions of it. I'm like, I'm already a platinum member in the 2024, y'all. I got the notification. It's so bad. But you know, you know this about Chick-fil-A, and I'm not trying to get into the politics or anything. That's not my point. You know about Chick-fil-A? I can go to Chick-fil-A in Hydenwood, and I can go to Chick-fil-A in San Antonio, Texas, and I can go to Chick-fil-A in Augusta, Georgia. I can go to Chick-fil-A in St. Petersburg, Florida. I can go to Chick-fil-A in Columbia, South Carolina. And do you know what happens every time I go into the Chick-fil-A? I get the same what? Y'all don't go to Chick-fil-A? You get the same what? Experience. You get the same experience. It's like they all speak the same language because when you say thank you, they say, you get the same thing. If they mess up something, they're so quick to fix it, aren't they? They don't question you. When you say, you didn't provide me my sandwich, they don't go, uh, no, I put the sandwich in there, I remember. They go, we're so sorry for that. Let me get you a sandwich. And they get you a sandwich. I went by there a couple weeks ago. I told you to go too often. And I got two chicken bowls, no hash browns. Same thing I get every time I go. I share. I don't eat both of them for me. But the chicken on the chicken bowl was cold. I told the lady the next day. I said, I go too much. And I said, hey. My chicken was cold yesterday. She said, we got new people in here, but we're going to make it right. She calls me Mr. Chris. We're going to make it right, Mr. Chris. And I said, it's not a big deal. I'm just letting you know it was cold yesterday. She said, next time you come through, it's on me. Well, two weeks went by. It wasn't that I didn't go for two weeks. She just didn't work that same spot for two weeks. But I came back by two weeks later, and I pulled up. She said, Mr. Chris, she said, I owe you two, two chicken bowls. I told you I'd take care of you. I'm going to take care of it. She didn't question me. She didn't ask me about my past. She didn't ask me if I was lying. She didn't throw any shade nor judgment. All she did was give me my hot chicken balls, y'all. The thing about Chick-fil-A is it doesn't matter. The Chick-fil-A, it doesn't matter where you go because they all speak the same language. They all have the same culture. They all have the same values. Now, McDonald's? <laughs> McDonald's? You know it's true with McDonald's. I can count on Three fingers, the many times I've gone to McDonald's and got some Chick-fil-A flavor, and it's probably because they were former Chick-fil-A people. But it's never the same. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad that you can go to a McDonald's and never get the same type of service? So when it comes to the church, when it comes to the church, the church should be more like Chick-fil-A. You see, if I'm busted and broke and ugly and lame and sick and, and dying, I should be able to walk in this church and encounter the same Jesus as I walk into that church, encounter the same Jesus and walk into this church, and encounter the same Jesus because that's what it's supposed to be. We are the temple of God. We are the place where God resides. And it shouldn't matter. I should be able to walk into a church, into a building, into a gathering, and encounter believers in Mexico who love the same as believers in Brazil, as believers in the U.K., as believers in America. That's what it should, should be. We should have those things coursing through our bodies, those values of love and grace and mercy coursing through our body, because we are the house of God. We are the house of God. The physical temple kept people out. Jesus as the temple brought everybody in, and we as this temple continue that work. It is not safe 
to be the temple of God. It's not safe to be the dwelling place of God. It becomes incredibly messy, and at times it becomes incredibly painful. The inclusivity of the message of Christ is the very thing. Listen, listen. And I'm rapping right here, I promise. I won't even go back over to my notes. Well, let me pull it over here for a second. I'm not. I'm not going to go back over my notes. Hold on. See, the inclusivity of Jesus, his temple, was the very thing that turned the shouts of praises. Hosanna. Save us. Into the cries just a week later that said, crucify him. The inclusivity. The refusal to be a Jewish-only Messiah. The refusal to be a Jewish-only king. The same thing happens with us when we refuse to be an American-only Christian. When we open up the doors and we welcome everybody in, it gets messy. It gets painful. But I'm so glad that's what he did. I'm so glad 2,000 years ago he rode into Jerusalem to initiate a new temple, one that we get to be a part of and house the presence of God. Do me a favor. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to wrap our service with some praise. We're not going to go into a time of worship. We're going to celebrate with some praise. We are going to celebrate with praise. Let me just go ahead and pray. Pray for you guys. Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy. And I thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us. And, Father, I pray right now that as we end this service with praise, God, that we would encounter your love in just a tangible way, a new way, God, that we would see it. Clearly, Father. Father, we just thank you for it. We thank you. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.